introducing Rosenball NBA podcast. We're going to shift it up a little bit, and we're going to be doing sort of like a, a mini doc series this summer where we go through unique stories in NBA history, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, if you will, of set stories. The first thing we're going to jump to, talk about my beloved Celtics and something we dubbed the Patino years. Or talk about the Patino years, we have to go back in history a little bit to the late 80s. You see, the Celtics were riding high, as you all know, in the 80s decade. It was really the Lakers and Celtics decade. And really in the 86 uh, draft, which is one of the more cursed drafts, 87 draft. Celtics obviously draft Len Bias, number two pick, and he passes away uh, with an overdose on draft night. This sets the stage then where the Celtics really have no youth going forward. Okay, Danny Ainge notes this to Red Orbach at the time as a player, and is you know talking about hey we might need to consider trading Bird, trading McHale. Is the late '80s, our title runs kind of closing. This is going to be a bleak future. We have no assets. They don't listen. They want their guys retiring them. Celtics have another good draft. They get Reggie Lewis. He seems like a nice youth picture. And unfortunately for that, the Celtics have run through the 80s, the late, the early 90s. And they kind of are this like first, second round team. Their last sort of decent year was in 92. They play Cleveland. They lose to seven. Cleveland eventually loses to Chicago, who ends up winning the title against Portland, as we know. And after that, it's Reggie Lewis's team for about a year. Okay. He leads that team to the playoffs. They lose to Charlotte in five games, but it's an upcoming Charlotte team off Alonzo Morning buzzer beater in game five. Celtics looks like they have youth. They look like they're 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 gonna turn this corner a bit, led by Reggie. And then we learn in that playoff series against Charlotte, Reggie Lewis has a heart problem and eventually passes away as well. This is two up-and-coming small fours that take the reign in the span of five years, passing away as a Celtic. So let's really have no future at this point. And they're not really sure what to do. And in that offseason, instead of really embracing sort of a rebuild, they decide to go after future Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins. Now, again, Wilkins, 12-year vet at this point, kind of past his prime. So let's take a stab. And one of the rumors was they went after Wilkins you know, prior to the 93-94 season because they felt, oh, if Jordan came back, maybe he'd want to join Wilkins. This was like a 0.1% chance of occurring. They ended up getting Dominique for a pretty rough year, to say the least. The next season, they have Dino Raja kind of coming back now. This was a second-round pick they got in the late 80s. He looked great in Europe. Uh, let's bring him on. Okay, Sherman Douglas is now part of the team, the general from Syracuse. D. Brown's coming of age. Rick Fox is coming a bit. So it's kind of building a little bit of a core. They make a playoff run in the 94-95 season. The so last year of the Boston Garden, they end up playing Orlando in the first round, and they – win a game, but they lose in four. This is the level of mediocrity now. Now we're in mediocresville. Right? In back-to-back years, they have 9, 10, 11 pick range. 
to get Eric Matros in the draft. And then things in the 95-96 season turn real bleak. They lose a, a decent amount of games and drop to the ninth pick. Emil Carr becomes the coach, and he's sort of the coach and GM. And it's also in a, a, a real fork-in-the-road moment, and eventually it's got to settle in. we got to rebuild this thing. After the 95-96 season, the Celtics have a ninth pick of the draft in what becomes a great 96 draft. Now, one of the M.O. Carr does a fantastic trade going to the draft, one of the more underrated trades in Celtic history. He trades the ninth pick to Dallas, along with Eric Montross, that 95 first-round pick, who, by the way, made an all-rookie team for North Carolina. Trades that tandem to Dallas to move up from nine to six and get Dallas's first round pick in 1997. Celtics end up moving up in the draft and picking up Antoine Walker. Could this be the guy? Could this be a young piece that we finally help rebuild? It starts to look that way. 96, 97, Rajas are hurt, and the Celtics are just awful. They got a couple of interesting pieces here and there. They end up doing a trade, end up moving Douglas which is a blessing in disguise as it forces them to rebuild because Todd Day is a vanity, empty calories uh, stack guy. David Wesley becomes probably the best player on the team, but they have all these middling talents like Eric Williams, Rick Foster still lingering around, Dee Brown still lingering around. And they end up finishing with the NBA worst record of 16, 15 and 67. And the reason why this was important was the 97 draft is boasting one of the best players coming out in a long time. The number one pick expected to come out of the 97 draft is none other than Tim Duncan. Now, it's rare in NBA history that you have a guy coming out to play four years. He's a big man. And we all know what, he's gonna, you know, what kind of talent this guy could be. So... People are excited. And and also, they have Dallas's first-round pick. Dallas is the sixth-worst team in the NBA. Dallas had a bad decade themselves. So Celtics now have the top pick coming in. And I think something like the chances at the, the six. So they got a chance of, of, of getting a couple guys in the top three, potentially, right? This draft is also boasting guys like Keith Van Horn, who resembles Birds in, in many ways out of Utah, a little 3-4 combo for them. Celts are terrible, and Red Orbach is like, look, we need a new face here. It's not going to be M.O. Carr. We need a new guy to run this. Meanwhile, in college, Patino has dominated the game. Now, the Celtics flirted with college coaches before, 1991. The Celtics made a run on Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, didn't work out in the getting Chris Ford. Now, the Celtics have been a franchise that have constantly churned through their own. Right, all the guys that were coaches or GMs were former Celtics: Casey Jones, Bill Fitch, uh, Don Nelson, Chris Ford, Emil Carr. This goes on and on. So, this was a rarity now, coming in the ninety-six, ninety-seven season. They were saying, "No, no, Emil Carr. We need someone else. We need a non-Celtic to take the helm here a little bit." And after filling with Krzyzewski, they got to look to Patino. Patino now boasts he's one of the hottest college coaches, the hot college coach, to be exact. 
He's coming off the season, the 96 Kentucky Wildcats win the championship and have the best, one of the best, in my opinion, college basketball teams of all time. They boast 10 NBA players, future NBA players on that roster. Patino has a press-style defense, which gets some fame. Shoots a lot of threes, which is a little outside the box at the time. And Ron Orbeck wants to take the risk. He ends up signing Rick Patino to a then most lucrative deal for a player of that role in NBA history. Four-year, $7 million a year deal. Patino's excited. Everyone thinks this is great because Patino later said that he took the role because he thought they were going to get Tim Duncan. I think the Celtics probably hired him in advance because they wanted to make sure he was there in case they didn't get Duncan. Well, Patino's at the helm, and then the lottery happens. And the ping pong balls don't go Boston's way. Celtics, instead of getting maybe the first and third, first and second picks, end up falling back and get the third and sixth picks. This was a disastrous lottery. We miss out on Duncan. We miss out on Keith Danforth. But Patino makes a couple of shrewd moves on draft night. And in the summer, pre his first year taking the helm. Remember, this is a 15-win Celtics team. He ends up drafting Billups and Mercer, dubbed the backcourt of the future. He doesn't re-sign Rick Fox, who's a Celtic through and through. Rick Fox is actually so upset. He wants to wear number 17 for the rival Lakers to show that he's going to win a title before the Celtics do. And he makes a few other moves. Celtics have the rights. They, they signed Chris Mills and immediately trades him for Walter McCarty, getting his Kentucky guy back. Picks up Bruce Brown from the CBA. Comes a great defensive player in the NBA. Um, draft Travis Knight late. Does a draft day trade. Nice little spacing five. It starts putting some interesting pieces together for this roster. Um, Celtics have opening night, 1997 opening night against the World Champion Chicago Bulls. And look, Celtics fans are excited. We got a new era. We're finally going to rebuild. We got Patino. Let's see what happens. Celtics go into opening night with, you know, relatively high expectations but they leave it with enormous expectations. The Celtics end up beating Michael Jordan at the Chicago Bulls opening night. And people are like, wow, Messiah has arrived in green. Celtics end up finishing his first season at 36 and 46. Huge improvement from the 15-win team. People are stoked for the future. But Patino doesn't leave empty-handed. One of the big moves he does at that deadline was trade Chauncey Billups in a larger deal amongst point guards for Kenny Anderson. This becomes the first of several future short-sighted moves that Patino makes. So let's finish the year strong. Don't make the playoffs. And the next year is the lockout. The lockout lingers, but people are excited for the Celtics. They, you know, Sports Illustrated shows a prediction they're going to go 28 22, make the playoffs. People think this could be the year that we, we, we evolve. Celtics draft Paul Pierce in the next year's draft, who falls into the laps. Again, 
great selection. Um, and team stoked, excited. Well, actually, I'm going to try to skip a year. In another similar year, they draft Jerome Moiso. They train him for Rashawn McLeod. It's a similar year, but the following year, they get Paul Pierce. So now we feel like, all right, we got something cooking. Okay. The year starts, Celtics feel strong, but then Patina makes another perplexing trade. At the deadline of that year, when things aren't going the way we thought, they end up trading uh, Andrew DeClerc and a future first for Vitaly Potapin. The future first becomes Andre Miller, who's a longtime point guard, one of the more underrated point guards in the history. And the pick also could have been Sean Marion. They both were in that slot. So it was our test, by the way. The next year starts off real slow. Celts go up to a horrible start. I think they're 12 and 22. And things are crumbling around Petit. Kenny Anderson peaks already. Now he's on a decline. Celts don't muster anything. A couple of cute fan favorites. They sign Walker to an extension. Uh, who ends up being like a, a high-volume, inefficient player. Walter McCarty becomes a fan favorite. But again, this team is going rudderless and nowhere. The 90s are repeating itself. And Patino has a famous interview where he says, hey, look, sometimes, you know, the issue is Patino, the coach, doesn't agree with Patino, the GM. A damning statement from someone who has control of both. Then Patina resigns. Following that bad start, it was an awkward hug to Paul Pierce. That last game, which was an absolute blowout, and doesn't leave without a couple of good note bites. In that last season, he has a great press conference where he says the negativity in the town sucks. Makes a famous quote, which becomes a Patina game on Twitter. Larry Bird, Kevin Kale, Robert Parrish, you walking through that door if they are. They're going to be gray and old. A slew of trades occurred during his last couple of seasons. Ron Mercer for Danny Fortson. Danny Fortson in an Alvin Williams trade that gets rescinded after the public completely admonishes the deal. Keeps kind of mixing around talent. No one gets continuity. And he tried to right the ship too quickly. Wasn't patient. After Patina resigns, the Celtics rip off nine games and nine wins in a row. They have some incredible wins, including a buzzer beater at the Lakers, reminiscent of Patino's first win against Chicago, beating a world champion team uh, while being complete underdogs. So, Patino years are then left with the Jim O'Brien years, which then the Celtics actually evolve. Get a new GM, Chris Walsh, gets full reign as GM doesn't have to report into a Patino-type figure. They're an exciting team. That year that he leaves, they almost make the playoffs. Indiana ends up inching them in. But the following year, there were three seed, and they make the conference finals lose to the Nets. And then in the coming years, they get Danny Ainge, and they end up winning a title years later. But it was the Patino years that were most intriguing in this whole crux. He took a situation that was mediocre and made it even more mediocre made it about him. Became short-sighted for the team 
and it, and it's proof now in the future where you can't have that dual role. It's hard to have a coach slash GM. They should be on the same page potentially, but it's tough for them to be uh, in the same role. So there you have it. Those are the Rick Pitino years. Filled with, and it was a weird time in the NBA where people were lauding this as like a great move. Where like you're going to get a coach, and the coaches are playing. Other teams have done this similarly since, right? I remember when, you know, Larry Brown had his big years in the 2000s, and then the Knicks picked him up. We felt like, okay, this guy's going to be great for the Knicks. It didn't work out. The coach isn't enough, and you have to embrace the rebuild a lot of times in life and in the NBA. And you can't let an egotistical vanity guy like Patino, who ripped off his own books, like success is a choice, to be your lead. You need a guy that has self-awareness. You need self-awareness as company, self-awareness as talent, and you need self-awareness at the helm. They can then understand their warts. Maybe this wasn't the best idea. Maybe we'd renege what we originally thought. But that's fine. Making mistakes... It's not a choice. It happens. Learning from the mistakes is the issue. Masking them for your own ego will never work. Rick Pitino was one of the worst coaches in NBA history, particularly in Celtic history. Definitely a horrific GM. Now, it wasn't like every move he did was bad, right? They were just short-sighted. But in the scheme and, and the roadmap, it was pretty bad. Trading Chauncey Bob's rookie year, that's bad. Doubling down the following year? To trade for Vitaly Potapenko, pretty horrific. It set the Celtics way back, but luckily the team had enough talent and charisma under O'Brien to muster up a, a, a revenge season. Talked to players today about Patina. They didn't like him, right? He ran his press style. He ran a three-point offense. He, you know, 12 guys played, which sounds nice, but it's not the same for the NBA. You can't get too gimmicky in the league. A press defense the whole time? Look, it, it, it can be clever and work sometimes, but also gives up points the other times. And also expenses a tremendous amount of energy on your team. So you have to play 12 guys, right? So think about it this way. If you're running a press style, 10 through 12 guys, instead of getting five minutes each, you're getting 15 minutes each, which they're not as talented. That's why they're 10 through 12 guys, right? And how much are you really netting on the press anyway? The risk does not worth the reward. Patino later... Realized it could never go back to the NBA. Similar to John Calipari's failures with the Nets. Patino was a, now a classic college guy. He's with St. John's now. After with Louisville, had no scandals in college uh, as well. But the rule of thumb is, as a franchise, focus on your own awareness. Focus on what's happening. And be patient. Rome wasn't built in a day. While Parrish, McHale, and all those guys aren't walking through the door, Kane Harrison isn't coming in to fix it either. I'm Eton Rosenberg. That's the first of many doc series that we'll be doing this summer.